0: Hello everyone, open up that window in your advent calendar and you'll find inside a new BRFCS podcast. Music Forget the chocolatey treats for now and instead gorge yourselves on a sugar free BRFCS podcast. Yes. It's December already, where does the time go? It's that time of year, when supermarkets prepare to stock the shelves with cream eggs, DFS considers whether to throw caution to the wind and have a Boxing Day sale, and package holiday companies are ready to bombard us with adverts for cruise liners and exotic destinations. Panic not though, Mike Dilap is only in part two of this episode, but I do have his email address for anyone searching for the perfect New Year getaway. I really should be on commission. Let's get going then, because we all have cards to write, presents to wrap, and Bradley Deck gifts to watch. It's been a while, but every now and then you need to call upon a seasoned professional to galvanise your team, and I'm delighted to welcome back Cammy to the Pod Squad. Cammy, how are you this evening? I'm fine. How are you? How's everyone else? Uh, I'm great, thanks, mate. It's uh, good to be back on the pod and uh, getting another episode out. Our second panellist tonight has successfully run more miles for charity this year than I've managed to claim on business expenses. She's back to update us on all things Craig Conway. Yes, it's Lyns Lewis. Lyns, how'd we find you tonight?
1: A little bit hungover, but pleased to be back. Nice to speak to you guys again.
0: And finally, last but not least, defender of Mike Cheston, scourge of the Rovers Trust, just some of the epithets aimed his way after our last episode. Rather like Danny Baker and Danny Kelly used to say. Sometimes right, sometimes wrong, but always certain. It's the Marple Leaf himself, Michael Taylor. Michael, good evening once again.
2: Good evening, Ian, or as they say about Sky News, never wrong for long.
0: (laughs) I can change my opinions to suit.
2: Yes, principles, principles. If you don't like these, I've got these over here.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And we'll discuss that when we talk about the Blackpool game. So that's your panel for part one, in which we will review the games played since we last convened. In part two, we've got a special interview with the New York City Rovers, and that's already in the can as we recorded that yesterday following a breathtaking afternoon's match at Ewood Park. We'll talk about that later on as well, but part two is well worth a listen. In part three, we'll look ahead to the upcoming festive fixtures and we'll discuss other Rovers-related issues that have been in the news lately. So that's our running order. We're in formation. Let's kick off. So, since we last convened, uh, the first match that was played after our last pod was in the glorious Checker Trade Trophy, Rochdale away. Won all draw, lost 5-3 on penalties. Was anybody mad or devoted enough to go? Anybody?
3: Nah.
4: (laughs) Nope.
0: Possibly the answer I expected. So, no trip to Wembley, despite my prediction. We're out of the Checker Trade Trophy, and of course that leaves us free to concentrate on the league and, who knows, maybe even an FA Cup run. So the first league game after our last pod was away at Bury. And that was an interesting one in, in as much as we had both stands behind the goals. We kept a clean sheet. We won 3-0 and it was, uh, it was a pretty good afternoon all round. Michael, you were uh, enthralled and excited by this game, I seem to recall, or have I misremembered?
2: Yeah, you've misremembered. I was bored out of my head. Um, but, you know, I'll take that after the, what we've been through these last few seasons and um, winning 3-0, so convincingly, there's only one team ever going to win that game. And it wasn't it just a masterclass in Bradley Dack. I mean, he's been a bit of a slow burner for some of us on this pod. Um, but I thought it was a masterclass from him in that game. And his third goal, absolutely brilliant. Um, the way he took it down. And, and of course, he made the first two, didn't he, for, um, for Antonsson,
0: Yep, two assists and scored two, himself.
2: Yeah, it was a very, very bitty game. Not much of a rhythm to it, but do you know what? 3-0, three, three points, on we go. Absolutely. Linz, what was your take?
1: Oh, I had the best time. Who doesn't love a light show and chatting to some drunk Dutch fans? I had a ball. I can barely remember the game, but I loved the atmosphere. It was fabulous.
0: Now, I, thought it, I thought it was quite interesting with both um, both stands behind the goals being occupied by our Rovers fans. I think they were, we tried to get some banter going, but I know on Twitter there were some people in the other stand, I think the West stand, we're saying, oh, we couldn't hear the East End singing. The <laughs> East End guys replied, saying, well, we couldn't hear you either. So I don't think the acoustics are up to much. But notwithstanding that, on the pitch, um, I'm probably not as pessimistic as, as Michael. I, f- I thought it was, if you're going to win 3-0 away from home, I think you, you can enjoy it. It wasn't exactly flowing football. I thought Barry came at us hard early on. But uh, it was it was a fine, fine victory. And that's the, that's the most
2: important thing. I- I'm liking Antonson out wide. I think it's, it's, it's a much better position for him at this level, taking players on. And, of course, he scored two goals that night and he scored he scored since as well. I think it's his best position than playing off one of the front two.
0: I tend to agree. I think in the absence of Chapman, we need somebody who's prepared to run at a defence and he fulfils that role. Cami, what's your take on Antonson and the, the 3-0 win?
5: Yeah, I mean, it was a, a good performance. Um, I thought, um, like you guys, that it was good to see Dak playing in a position where he can get the ball and influence play and obviously with Nuttall up front providing a bit of physical presence it allows the likes of Antonson and Dak to play just behind in a sort of front three so so yeah um, it was great to win and uh, you know start this brilliant run that we've been on since.
0: Yeah, somebody on Twitter, I think it was uh, Babak Golry, is a friend of, of BRFCS, pointed out to me yesterday when I sort of said, are oh, we ready for another podcast? He said, you do realise that whilst the pod has been on Radio Silence, we've embarked upon our most successful run of the season. So uh, <laughs> no sooner did we record a bit yesterday, than we threw away three goal with crew. So uh, mm, yeah, we'll see how that one goes. So after the Bury game, we travelled away midweek to Oxford United. And when I say we travelled away, out of the people on the pod, Linz, I'm going to come to you on this one. 3-0 up without breaking sweat against a promotion rival. Was it, what was it like in the flesh?
1: Fabulous. Absolutely fabulous! It was like we were dreaming. For me, it was the best away atmosphere of the season. Obviously, including you know where we've took sort of two or three thousand. Um, yeah, it was great. I, I just they the first twenty minutes they were fantastic. Then obviously we did concede, and you could tell how disappointed we were to have conceded. And then we went four one, and then four two. But they wanted it; they were still chasing everything. And and obviously I've been quite vocal previously about Dak, and I I did put out a Twitter apology after the oxford game and took a hamrid for it because everything goes through him and and he's very very impressive very impressive
0: yeah i think it was it was one of those evenings where it was really difficult to understand quite how we'd managed to get 3-0 up. And I think the penalty is one of those that if it's given against you, you're frustrated. But when I watched it back on TV, it, there was contact, as they say, on match We day. did
1: wonder if it was a dive from where we were. We I think he wanted to make
0: sure that the referee saw it. Let's put it that way. But I think there was, uh, there was contact. Um, what about the, um, the defence giving away two goals, though? What was the reaction in the, in the crowd at Oxford to that?
1: Um I think any time following Rovers There's always an anxiety You know Even at 3-0 After 20 minutes You were sort of thinking If we concede one here You know it, It's a bit tetchy But generally As I say A very very positive following The fans sang for 90 minutes It was you know Quite tight knit I think we took 900 So a Tuesday night I mean I didn't get home Till 2 And obviously I was only Coming to Nottingham So some people Going up to Blackburn You know It'd be 3-4 o'clock In the morning So I think yeah really good atmosphere really positive atmosphere And I love the fact that the players are now coming over at the end acknowledging the fans interacting with the fans and for me there's a real team spirit that we haven't had previously so i'm happy to have an afternoon off and go down to oxford if they're going to play like that
0: yeah it's a bit of a change from the olden game <laughs> i think they kept at least 100 yards away from the away fans at the end of that game so nice to see that that developed superbly now bristol rovers that was our next home game uh, a 2-1 win I think in my notes, I put, we'll be we fortunate or very fortunate. Cami, did you take in this game?
5: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going with the uh, very fortunate. <laughs> it wasn't the best performance, and obviously Mr Rovers had quite a number of chances, but um, you, you've got to have these kind of results. I, I quite like them when you don't play your best and you're a bit lucky, but in the end, we found a way to win you know with the two goals within five or six minutes of each other um another mulgrew penalty and then samuel uh, scoring so it wasn't the best performance but to be honest um that's fine as long as we get the three points that's the most important thing i think the confidence that they've built up from the previous two games kind of carried us through through that game we weren't playing our best um we did concede a few chances but um in the end that bit of belief that they've got from those wins um, previous to that sort of pushed us over over the line.
0: Absolutely, Michael. What was your uh, your view?
2: Hey man, I've never seen a disallowed goal like the Bristol Rovers disallowed goal. We basically, basically we were all back there basically playing the next ten minutes of the game, and then the, then the linesman decides no, no, actually it was offside. I mean, when you see it back, it was a really good decision. Of course, it was the right decision because it was disallowed. Um, and this is the thing about this division. You know, we, we don't know what to expect when we come up against these sides. We don't know anything about these teams. But a, a fair play to Bristol Rovers. They came out all cylinders firing really quick on the break. I thought their legitimate goal that was allowed was absolute belter. Well, probably the best of, one of the best I've seen at Ewood this season. Nyambe could have closed him down a bit more. But, you know, that's, that's hindsight, isn't it? Yeah, there was, a, but, there was um, a bit
0: of similarity between that one and the uh, the first Oxford goal. The lad the lad, cut in, gave two of our defenders twisted blood and curled it in, and then the yeah. the, the Bristol Rovers goal was quite similar to that.
2: But, for me, the best performance on the day, I mean, he's not, not worthy of man of the match because he was only on the pitch for half an hour, but Danny Graham, he caused absolute havoc. And I've so much wanted Danny Graham. I like him as a player. He seems like a really straight-up decent guy. Um, And I thought that performance, he ran them ragged and he was getting balls from the back, he was making darting runs and he contributed to both of our goals. I couldn't endorse the Danny
0: Danny Graham comment more. There was, I think, a tweet from the official Rovers account which had a picture of the two goal scorers and it was captioned the difference. And my take was, well, no, it was Danny Graham that was the difference because they, they suddenly had... Um, a real threat, somebody holding the ball up, somebody laying it off. And to me, it was the Danny Graham that first came to us.
2: It was gameplay as well. And I think Danny Graham brings that with his maturity. Someone who can hold the ball in the corner, someone who can just slow the pace of the game down a bit. You know, if we'd shown that kind of um, gameplay last season, we may still be playing in a different division because we got caught out. You remember that game against Preston where, you know, faffing about. But no, we, we, we saw that game out really professional performance last 20 minutes.
0: Linds, what was your take on the Bristol Rovers game?
1: It was dire at times. I thought, you know, they, we were shocking, sort of 20 to about 65 minutes. I agree, the disallowed goal, you know, I fully resigned to the fact we were losing 1-0 and then there was kind of all of that. I think the substitutes made a huge difference mm. and I just think, yeah, we were fortunate and we were lucky. We haven't had a lot of luck, so... If we play poorly and we are getting three points, that suggests when we play well, you know, we can go out and get four, five, six, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought Bristol were one of the better sides that have been to Ewood this season. I thought they played some, some very good football and obviously brought a really big following as well, which I respected.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, they did. Both of those things, I think, are eminently true. Uh, they played us off the park, I think, in the first half.
5: The good thing which to see was what I previously uh, sort of criticised Mowbray about was he seems to wait too long to make changes or didn't seem to have a plan B. But certainly for the Bristol Rovers game, um, we were playing the usual passing game, which wasn't working, and we were lacking that physical presence up front. So as soon as we went 1-0 down, he bought grim and somewhere on and went a bit more direct and and that worked so it was mm, good to see that off. plan yeah play plan a didn't work and for once he quickly made the change and plan b worked and then so
0: it's um it's one of those double-edged swords isn't it i always think when a manager brings on makes a double substitution like that and it changes the game and they can sort of say oh genius master class that's absolutely fantastic or well you picked the wrong team then didn't you The team that finished is the one that should have started. But we're all wise after the event.
2: Yeah, Nuttall was disappointed in that game. I thought he should have pushed on their defenders a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I think Danny Graham showed the difference between class and potential. Yeah. Um, yeah, But uh, he might well learn from it. So that leads on then to the the next away game and yet another 4-2 away victory. Um, Michael, abandoning your principles. Were you there?
2: Yeah, I did go. And I uh, I went actually for a second opinion to some other Blackpool supporters. And as was confirmed in a leaflet that was handed to us outside the ground by the protesting Blackpool fans, it said, we respect your wish to see your team. Um, we just ask that you don't spend any money in the bar and support local businesses and go to the local chippy, who are obviously suffering because of the boycott. I was pleased I went because I saw another good away day. Absolutely packed away end. Two and a half thousand Rovers fans there or thereabouts. Um, more than the ludicrous amount that Blackpool claim that they're watching them. It It's about a thousand. But they, they give all these tickets away to local schools and claim that that's what the attendance is. Really? Oh, that's you know, quite nice. Yeah. One. But, um, yeah, the Oystons, Yeah, class act, aren't they?
0: Absolutely. Uh, Marcus Anderson, your hero?
2: Yeah, no, it was great. And we're, we're seizing on mistakes. That's the thing we, uh, that... that continually bothers me about this division is you know the sloppy defending there's every team every team we play has got their own elliot ward and it's about absolutely preying on their weaknesses and forcing them to make mistakes instead of just looking for the perfect pass or the perfect shot i don't know why we don't take more shots and i don't know why we don't put more pressure on defenders because when we did both antonson and dak seized on it and we got two goals in the first half and second half it was it was all Rovers, really. But uh, what a great performance. What a great night. I'm sure it was. Linz, what was your
0: take?
1: I thought the first half was one of the worst halves I've seen this season by us and how how we sort of went in with the score at half-time, I'll never know. Um, I am fast developing a, a serious girl crush on Antonson. I think he's fantastic. Um, and I thought he was, you know, clinical in that mistake. I think for me... The biggest theme of the night for me was my surprise at all of our fans singing how rubbish the Blackpool support was. Because I think we need to remember why they're not there and that we're all actually in the same boat. And again, I I tweeted that out and I was was just really shocked that people didn't seem to get it because we are potentially a Blackpool in the making. So I thought there'd be more unity, but I think let's not just get too ahead of ourselves. Yes, we've had a good run, but you know we've still got all this going on in the background but yeah I had a great time and again it was another really late night for me and to justify the travel and the time off work I want to see a performance I want to see a team that care and I'm getting both so I did that four run of games So it's been about 1400 miles for me but if I'm getting 12 points and 13 goals I'll do it all season
0: yeah, it seems a reasonable trade-off, that. Well, this I was, think so. This was the game that convinced me that I too needed to go onto Twitter and apologise to Bradley, so I did. I thought he was a real handful in that game, and I think um, on a pod earlier in the season after the Shrewsbury game, I was deeply critical of him because he was being played wide left and he wouldn't track back and he wouldn't do the defensive work. But when he's played in his true position, and I think we've now found that, it is just like linking, running between the lines of midfield and and the whoever is the striker. He's he's a, he's just a terror at that level. There's no doubt about it. I don't think he's got pace, so I do, I do wonder how easy he would find it to step up. But let's hope we have that problem at the end of the season.
5: It, it reminds me of Craig Hignett in the year we came up from the championship. Yeah, yeah. and he was the same. He started off slow, and everyone's saying why we bought him, he's not really doing it but once Souness found a, a role for him and played him in his favourite position, he was kind of the key man.
0: Yeah, I think I think for the old, the older fans as well who remember the Howard Kendall year, I know we keep, we keep harping back, I keep harping back to that, he, he's doing the same sort of role that Duncan McKenzie did in that team is just a little bit unpredictable, he just seems to have a little bit more skill than many of the defenders in, in that league and he can uh, he can really impose himself.
2: For me, he's doing the role that I really wanted Tom Kearney to be doing for us to build a to build a team around a quality player, yeah, and it, it used to frustrate me last season watching the Channel Five goal rush every every highlights of a Fulham game was Tom Kearney going box to box, yeah,
0: and Newcastle having fifteen million pound bids turned down, yeah, so yeah. there we go. So that leads on, there's only one more game and that was yesterday's. Mayhem. Rubbish ref or immature, immature players? Um, what, what's our take? Will Is it the prosecution that, that normally states their case first then for Mr Bennett? In which case Michael, I'll call you as the expert witness.
2: Yeah, um, he was the captain for the day and you do not get involved in stuff like that. He was on the floor, the decision had gone against him, he was right in front of the linesman. I'll be honest, although I was watching the game, and it was right there. My eye was following the ball and where the, where the game was going. Bennett's on the floor. There's a bit of a tangle. The crew player rolls over. The, ref, the linesman's flag goes straight up because he's seen something. And he's a fool for getting involved. You just don't get involved in stuff like that, particularly not when you're meant to be a seasoned pro like him. And it's a straight red. He's off. You know, it cost us the game. And before it, we were saying, our mates were saying, wasn't it good that Wigan got held by filed. Because it's another game for them that they could do without. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, but whatever team Mowbray picks to go to Crew a week next Tuesday, it's a game we could do without. So I, I do wonder how,
0: how serious he will take this competition now. I mean, we, we've had the draw tonight. We're recording this after the draw. So there is a potential of another home third-round tie and a very winnable one, given the state that Hull City are in. So it wouldn't be a big gate, but it's a chance to progress. And I love cup runs, I have to say. So I hope we do take it seriously, but I don't know. But Bennett, it's it's becoming a bit of a habit. So um, what's happened since he signed the new contract, I think, is, is my question. Linz, are you prepared to uh, make a case for the defence?
1: Well, I've already been described as a Bennett fangirl tonight, so I might as well go all out for him. Um, I think he is a consummate professional and no one will be more disappointed than him to be missing four games. I haven't seen it. I wasn't there. Um, I asked on Twitter earlier. I got about 15 responses, like seven yeses, seven noes. Yes, it was a red. No, it wasn't. But if he's captain for the day and the... The dealings I've had with him personally and also you know following him on social media, I think he'll be incredibly disappointed. But of course, Craig Conway is going to be fit very soon. So we don't have to worry (laughs) because he's going to come back and make it all better. So it's fine.
0: Well, personally, I'd rather have uh, Conway than Bennett any day of the week. Ooh, controversial. No, not at all. I think Conway is is a much, much better player than Bennett, I have to say.
1: Well, I'm not going to argue, of course. Well, no, that's
0: why I thought I'd make the case and really test the loyalties. Uh, For me... Bennett has been hugely disappointing since he signed the new contract. And I don't know whether he's just in the comfort zone or whether it's just coincidence. But uh, last season, he would run directly, would take pot shots. And we're just not seeing that this year.
1: I don't know if there's a fitness issue. I felt at Oxford, he was tired. He looked really tired. And then obviously he was rested for the Bristol game, which they said was to do with his yellow cards. Well,
0: he'll have a nice long
1: rest coming up, won't he? He will.
0: Cammy, Rakeem Harper, uh, he was sent off as well. Um, leaving leaving the rights and wrongs of that aside he's blocking the development of one of our academy players have we seen enough from the likes of Rakeem Harper to do that or should we be promoting one of our lads?
5: I'm firm opinion that we should be uh, promoting one of the lads from from the academy because he's blocking the development uh, I've not seen much from him on some of the games that I've seen him play even at lower levels to 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 suggest that he's better than what we've got coming through the academy. So these young players, if you're loaning them for Premier League clubs, you need someone who's going to come in and make an immediate impact. And he's not done that. And and it must be so frustrating for some of the academy lads to see this guy come in and, and block their chances of getting in and getting a chance at first team level.
0: There are people whose opinions I respect who, who see a lot more of the academy than I do, clearly. And uh, I think there are one or two of our development squad that many feel should get a chance, at least just that training with the first team and travelling to matches and all the rest of it. So that's the end of part one, Um, part two is with the New York City Rovers and part three we'll come back with a discussion around some other Rovers related topics. Welcome back to part two. In this edition I'm absolutely delighted to be joined as co-host by one of our regular panellists, Matt Dilap. Welcome, Mike. How are you after this frantic afternoon?
6: Thanks, Ian. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing good. Admittedly, I, I, I stopped paying attention to the updates after 3-0. I assume we, we coasted through fine and with minimal fuss, or certainly into the hat anyway. Not
0: quite. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs>
6: <laughs> no, of course. Yeah, it, uh, I think it was probably a little bit more eventful than, than maybe we uh, we anticipated. But um, as daft as it sounds, even though we were 3-0 up, I think you know nine men left on the pitch in 20 minutes to go, and they, they only need... Two goals to progress. It sounds kind of strange, but I think you'd probably take the replay if you value the cup at all. In any way,
0: yeah. Well, I do value the cup. I must admit, I believe in a cup run, and I like to be in that third round hat. So I think the fact that we're still in there is something. I can remember as once I think it was in the Sunetti years Mm. being reduced to nine men um, in one of the one of the early games in that in that season, and it it was farcical. So playing like a a four-four nothing formation. I mean, I'm sure. Jose Mourinho be able to get right behind that, but as you say, I think to come out of that with a draw is probably uh, is probably not too bad. So anything that we say, just just for the absolute clarity, then for anybody listening, we are recording this straight after the Crew game, so any of our emotional reaction mm-hmm. is, is going to be tempered by what we've just uh, what we just seen. I,
6: either that or it's recorded before the Crew game, and we're really good at predicting the future.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, something like that. <laughs> so as I say, we're doing something a little different logistically this month as we continue our theme of having overseas Rovers fans as our part. 2 guests, which based on some feedback came across as a desperate attempt to blag cheap overseas holidays if uh, last month's pod is to believe. This month we're going across the pond to be joined by representatives of the NYC Rover Supporters Club, that's New York City, not York City, to remove any ambiguity. Given the time difference we needed to record this on a weekend because we normally record of an evening and so we're recording our part two ahead of the main pod episode. If you're not confused yet, then clearly I'm not doing my job well enough, but that's not the first time that that charge has been levelled at me. Anyhow, it's my great pleasure to welcome our two transatlantic guests to this episode, as we're joined by Stephen Bradley and Jay Lenay of the New York City Rover Supporters Club. Gentlemen, welcome to the pod.
3: Hello, uh, thank you for having us. Yes, thank you very much.
0: Many of you may already know Stephen Bradley, as he is an elected board member of the Rovers Trust and runs NYC Rovers along with Jay. Originally from Lancashire, as you'll probably tell from his accent, and a Rover season ticket holder from 1992 to 2011, Stephen has lived in Brooklyn for the past six years. Jay Lanay is a founding member of NYC Rovers, and aside from his wife Anna, probably the only American ever to honeymoon at Ewood Park. I don't know what Brad Friedel's arrangements were, but we definitely need to hear more about that before we finish, I think. (laughs) Hmm. A California native living in Queens in New York, as you'll hear from his accent, Jay has supported the Rover since 2002. So uh, welcome on board guys and it's, it's great to have you.
6: Okay, now first, I mean absolutely the first question that needs to be asked is uh, how is New York at this time of year and how much better is it than where we are in England?
3: In actual fact New York at this time of year is, um, is a little bit nicer than it normally is at this time of year. It's very um, England in late
4: July, as in it's uh, cold. And but not raining currently. It's nice, um, you know. I, I don't really like the cold, being from California. But uh, it's uh, the you know the holidays and the, the change of seasons and all that is, is kind of cool if you're into that sort of thing.
6: Question for Jay then: If you're from California, what made you trade the uh, the sunshine and the, the you know the scantily clad women for frostbite on your toes and a lot of smog?
4: So I guess uh, I guess I followed I followed a lady who is not my current wife. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I moved. I moved the here. use
0: of the phrase "current wife" there is quite interesting. <laughs> I, I
4: moved here for uh, for somebody else, and then uh, then met the love of my life, and uh, that's that's why I'm staying here.
6: Okay, that, that's that's reasonable. I'll take that. So Stephen, what brought you to New York?
3: Um, I also followed a, a lady here. Um, so it
0: wasn't the same one I take. Yeah, not the same one now. <laughs> no.
3: no. <laughs> Although,
0: just for absolute clarity,
3: yeah, that, that would have that would have been perhaps a little bit more interesting. But the um, I actually met my wife at university in Lancashire, the University of Central Lancashire. Uh, she was actually planning to study in London. I uh, found that the school was full, so they just sent her to Preston as a compromise. And mm-hmm. uh, we met in a class there. Uh, got married in England. Lived in England for five years and then um, decided to come back out here.
6: So When you say following these people, they are aware that you're following them. It's not (laughs) like something where the police need to perhaps have a a quick word.
3: Well, they weren't weren't
4: aware at first, but it's okay now.
0: Come on then, guys. Make us all absolutely pig sick over here. What's your favourite aspect of New York at Christmas?
4: Well, I mean, I guess uh, just the way the city looks uh, under the light when they put up the Christmas trees and all that uh, in downtown... Well I guess in Manhattan. And it it also reminds me of uh proposing to my wife because I did that under a Christmas tree at uh Madison Square. So uh it it reminds me of reminds me of that, which is it's good.
0: And Stephen, of course, it'll be just like Blackburn for you, I guess. Oh,
3: absolutely. I mean like for me I think it's it's great because essentially I'm walking around the set of Home Alone two at Christmas. Like there's nothing better than that. It's nothing more Christmassy <laughs> than Home Alone, so yeah, that's true. And asking Donald Trump for directions.
6: Uh, how do you find living in New York City, especially given all the political goings on right now, obviously linking us in nicely with Trump there? Is it all very exciting or quite scary, or is it, oh, is everything being inflamed over here, and it's quite boring?
4: Uh, so i wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say it's uh, scary for me personally, but it's kind of there's the, the bit of the extremism that seems to be going around uh, is frightening. You know, I have uh, have some friends that are are afraid, you know, what's going to happen to their visas and and things like that. And uh, at the moment, that's probably my biggest concern. I I would would definitely not say exciting. It's more, you know, like kind of what have we gotten ourselves into?
3: I I kind of echo everything that Jay just said. I mean, I'm kind of interested now in whether I can still afford name brand cereals after the new tax plan just went through yesterday. So uh, we'll wait and see on that one. We're, we're not really the people who are being targeted right now with the uh, the extremism that's going on. So it's, it's more our concern for our neighbors and the people that we share the trains with every day and how
4: it's affecting them that's the the really scary thing for us at the moment. Stephen just uh became a citizen so um congratulations to him on that and uh that's probably why his concerns aren't the same as they might have been two three years ago. Yeah true.
6: I was just wondering have you actually ever met anybody that seems to like Donald Trump at all? I've never known anyone who was Voted in as president and I'm yet to speak to anyone who does it, you know, who actually likes
4: him uh, So for my, my answer to that question is uh, I used to work with Donald Trump on The Apprentice And I would say that he probably likes himself So I've met <laughs> at least one person <laughs> that likes Donald <laughs> Trump um, <laughs> But uh, I, I know I know a few, there are not that many in New York City And um, they're not as outspoken, um, at least, you know, until you get on the internet so it's, it's there's gonna be more around around me than there are uh, you know in the majority of, of the five boroughs
0: okay let's let's move the conversation on then to the sporting arena and I think over this side of the Atlantic we've seen soccer, being launched in the states i'm certainly old enough to remember it being launched way back in the 70s with the likes of pele rodney marsh and the new york cosmos and all that sort of stuff but the mls does seem to be getting a bit of a foothold what sort of profile does mls have and is soccer catching on now in the states as a genuine sport
4: um so it's it's catching on a, a little bit um you know it's still behind uh football baseball basketball hockey and it is it is well behind those sports in terms of tv ratings it's catching up a little bit in terms of uh you know butts in seats uh attendance wise you know it's hard to compare the attendance of an mls game when you have uh 18 20 home games versus a uh NBA or major league baseball season when you have forty one or eighty two home games
0: Stephen from your perspective what's the standard of MLS compared to the uh, the matches you've seen at home
3: um, I'm not really used to watching good quality football anymore these days but it's um I'd say so the MLS seems to be somewhere around the championship I would say it's an interesting league because everything being American is always kind of bigger and brighter and more heavily marketed. So it's kind of like the championship if that's where Premier League players and players from Syria A and places like this came to finish their careers.
4: We don't have uh, promotion and relegation in this country. In mm. fact, uh, we also have this thing called single entity, which means all the teams in the MLS are owned by the league and operated by investor operators. So um, even though Man City you know, runs a team in the MLS, they're just investor operators. And instead of being competitors off the field uh, with all these other clubs, they're actually business partners. So they, they don't compete over players. There's no free agency. And they have a monopoly over Division I despite closing it off from all the independent teams so there's not really any um there's no room for an independent club uh, to make it in this country because you have to buy into this single entity uh, that costs a hundred million dollars to buy into and then when you buy into it you just get to run the the team as a same way that you would get to run a um a sandwich shop with some franchising company you don't really own the team or even your team's likeness anymore
0: so you're you're operating it as if it was a i don't know like a hotel chain yeah no, you're managing the branch that kind of thing that's
4: exactly how it's run here and
0: um I didn't realize that is that what David Beckham's trying to do down in Miami then
4: he's trying Wait to what? buy a hotel uh a hotel <laughs> branch. <laughs>
0: He might be by trying to buy a hotel as well, who knows? Have either of you actually seen um, a live MLS game, or do you not follow it because of um, the way that the league is structured?
4: Both of us are actually season ticket holders to a third New York team uh, that plays in a non-MLS league called uh, NASL. Uh, it's, uh, we're season ticket holders to the kind of reborn New York Cosmos. Uh, oh. And so I'll see the MLS teams when we play them in the Cup, but um it, we don't like I, I think i've i've probably seen two or three uh mat- mls matches besides the ones where uh the new york cosmos are playing new york city fc or the red bull team uh in the cup so
0: how has the failure to qualify for the world cup been viewed in the us has it been big news or largely ignored
4: uh it's i mean it's definitely been um it's definitely been big news uh the, this is So all those those things that I said earlier about single entity and no promotion and relegation and a closed system, if we're ever going to get rid of all those issues that are kind of just set up so that uh, owners can maximize profit, it's going to be now. Because if we don't do it after we've failed to qualify for the World Cup uh, out of the easiest qualifying situation in the world, then we're never going to do it. And... Uh, We'll we'll just kind of be doomed to repeat these mistakes that we're making Um, (coughs) One of of the biggest is that we have this uh, system here uh, That we call pay to play which is uh, when a promising young footballer comes up uh, In New York City. There's very few academies that will uh, pay for pay for his training so unless he's middle-class or, or upper-class family, uh, he's not going to be able to get the best training at the the best academy because you have to pay to play. And it's, there's no... Um, you know, we don't have 92 league clubs over here that all have academies and are all training players to try to get the best out of them regardless of their financial situation. The fact that we have such a shortage of defenders in this country, but we still allowed Jada Merritt to slip through the cracks and end up playing uh, non-league football in London before we figured out who he was. <laughs> like, yeah. Clearly, we're not doing a good enough job identifying who the players are.
0: Well, Rovers have been lucky over the years. I think, obviously, Brad Friedel uh, mm. is and will always remain a legend. And uh, Even though we only had him on loan, Jermaine Jones for a period of time was... Uh, was one of the, uh, I think, standout players in, in what was, acceptably like acceptedly a, a team that was struggling, but he, he certainly contributed
6: to... He, that six months that we had with him, I'd say, he kept us up, personally. He was an absolute key factor in that, and what was a, a fairly bobbing season. Uh, just just running lads, I mean, obviously, me and Ian are based in and around the Sheffield area, and I'd say we have to come up with various ways to try and keep up with Rovers from a very small distance outside of Lancashire, but tricky to keep up with Rovers over there or do you find it a bit easier?
3: So when I first got here in 2011, when we were still in the Premier League, it was the greatest thing ever because both home and away games were on uh, TV regardless of uh, if they were in the week or the weekend, all the 3pm games were all on TV. So Jay and I would meet With the other new york rovers every saturday to watch the game and i think in the first year i think we saw maybe one or two wins together you know it was rovers under steve keen those uh those glorious days so then once we went down into the championship we then generally averaged maybe three to five games a year being shown live so we were completely relying on um radio rovers and the radio streams but now with the I Follow service going live, our only um, avenue to watch rollers now. But no, that service is great now. Just just being able to see the team again. And it, just, it also adds so much to following a football club is the ability to see the players playing because for years I've kind of relied upon the opinions of other people. And you can never see the radio commentary. They never talk about the players movement off the ball and who basically their style play and everything. And so being able to see it for yourself is, is just, is wonderful.
4: Trying to follow on radio rovers, uh, in the previous years, you're kind of just sitting there listening. Uh, sometimes the accents a little bit hard for our American ears to, to figure out, uh, what they're saying. And so you're just like, okay, uh, it, the crowd cheered the the radio commentator said there was a goal Uh, he said a last name. Does that guy play for us? Uh, okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he scored, you know? um, So it's it's it kind of takes it, it's really like following on twitter except Your mind's working harder, <laughs> you know, it's not uh You don't really know anything about the team just from uh listening to to radio rovers and you can't really expect uh, Radio rovers to be a hundred percent unbiased, since they work for the club. You know, they're not going to tell you all the mistakes that Owen Coyle has made with his formation. You know, <laughs>
0: I've heard um, I've heard tale that the the um, the whole I follow service is going to be overhauled next year. There is a rumor that there there is going to be much more. Uh, open acceptance of viewing games in the UK, so I think that would make life easier. I mean, you know, for the likes of, say, for instance, Mike and myself living 50-odd miles away, it's not easy, uh, particularly with work commitments, and Mike's got family commitments, you know, particularly to get over for a midweek game, but I'd be more than happy to subscribe to a digital season ticket to, to fill in the gaps. And uh, people, people more technologically savvy than I, I'm sure, uh, have been able to, to get round this issue, but it's far better that it were legitimate. And I think for the lower league clubs... It could be another interesting income source.
6: You know, I've I've got two children now. I find it much more harder just to pop out on a Saturday and say, right, I'm going in the car for the afternoon. They're just, you know, they're only three and four, my kids, so they don't, you know, they, just, they don't get it. They just see it as like a rejection that I'm going somewhere and not involving them. Mm-hmm. So I have to be very, a bit more wise and careful in what I pick and choose to do nowadays. But uh, a service like that that would be, you know, freely accepted, specifically in the UK, would be brilliant. I think a lot of people would em- embrace it and it would also drag a lot more, people to possibly support the you know the, the the less big teams like you know the non-premier league teams as well.
0: Stephen how easy is it for you to get involved in the trust from such a distance?
3: The the technology that's available uh, these days and to me over here has certainly made it possible. I generally try and attend meetings through Skype it doesn't always work out because Sometimes they'll meet in uh, places that has poor Wi-Fi, so, but I always get the meetings of uh, minutes, so I always get the notes of everything that's going on, which makes it easier. Um, I mean, obviously, it would be fantastic if I could be in actual attendance for the meetings, but in terms of everything that I have to do, it's, it's been straightforward so far, thankfully.
6: It's good to hear because I think sometimes having I mean, those different angles and different perspectives, it's um, I think it's nice to have some, you know, a, opinion away from that because sometimes you can get a little bit bogged down almost in.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the thing that you have to remember about any supporters group or any group of supporters is that there's going to be a, a whole um, array of different people from different backgrounds with different, and they want the club to cater to them in different ways. So, the, those different voices coming into the club, I think, is nothing but a good thing in order to try and cater for as many people as we can. Um,
6: I was sort of thinking more about the role of the Trust. It sort of seems to have ever evolved and changed a little bit over the years since it sort of started. Uh, how do you all sort of see it you know, developing over the, the coming years, say the next two, three, four years?
3: So, my personal belief on the Rovers Trust is basically we need to continue working towards being a safety net should it be needed and I know that John Murray the current chair of the trust the avenue that he's about to take the trust in is basically coming up with uh, a number of both community initiatives to try and strengthen the um, the name of the trust within the community and hopefully increase membership but it's pretty much whilst we're on the Venkeys. The trust is not a protest group, but we do not support the Venkis' ownership of the club, which I think is probably true for most people. But our, our main role now is ensuring that if the worst did come, that we're prepared for it and that we can assist in any way that we're needed to. And so we are, currently we have a, a member base of 800 um, eight hundred members. Um, we've got a reach of a few thousand all over worldwide Uh, We've got members in various different countries. And I think to any new prospective owners, knowing that that community is there and that support there can only be a good thing. But just the trust in general, like I said, it's not about being a protest group or trying to force anyone out or make any big claims. It's about just trying to be there as a safety net should it be needed. Uh, We're all about trying to secure future of the club I mean I've got a four-year-old over here raising a, a New Yorker as a Rovers fan from here is going to be difficult enough but I just want the opportunity to be there and the clubs to be there
6: I think it's very important though that you just don't give them a choice just make it seem like there's a lack of options more than <laughs>
3: yeah exactly yeah that's what I'm trying <laughs> just showing it uh, <laughs> games from '94, pretending it's now. Yeah, just exactly. Just stream the good <laughs> stuff and tell him it was yesterday or something. Yeah, like exactly. I uh, <laughs> uh,
6: suppose, I suppose as well. Though, like obviously, the trust has got you involved, which is 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 great. But also, how I suppose going forward as well, how are the trust sort of planning to get even more fans sort of actively involved in it all
3: as well. It's. I think the the big thing that John um, wants to do at the moment is basically say that. The trust is something that's open to everyone and we want to hear people's ideas and we want to hear people's thoughts and we can act upon them uh, in our current role and then help grow the trust that way. Do a few like, auctions of Rovers, some semi-rare uh, Rovers memorabilia to help raise money for the trust and just basically try and grow it organically and show people that like, we don't, I mean, there's, there are groups out there, you know, like the action group and everything that have specific agendas or, or things that they're trying to do. With the trust, it's just, it's merely about trying to have something that is protecting the club should it need it.
0: If I could just jump in there, I think that's absolutely crucial and I, I can't endorse that message uh, heavily enough. That's all very interesting stuff about the trust and it's good to know. Um Jay, I alluded to it earlier in the in the pod, but I really want to know more about the whole honeymoon thing at Ewood Park. What's the full story behind that? How on earth did you manage to persuade your wife to be that a honeymoon at Ewood Park was was appropriate?
4: Uh well, uh, I mean the the easy answer would be that uh you know, she's she's from New York and didn't know any better. But the uh the true story is uh we were Planning our honeymoon to uh, Germany, and um, she figured out that we could get a layover in Manchester without uh, any additional cost. And so um, it was actually her idea to, because she's kind of wanted to go to Ewood Park at some point. I don't think she imagined originally that it would be on her honeymoon. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so it was, it was, she came up with the idea to take a, uh, a weekend layover on our way to Germany, uh, stopping off in Manchester and then uh, actually staying uh, with some friends in Bolton okay. and uh, going to Ewood Park. And uh, I think this was uh, two years ago, a uh, home draw against uh, Bristol City uh, under uh, Paul Lambert. And, uh, it's kind of, kind of a boring match, but, uh, we got a, got a little tour of the, uh, uh, of Ewood and, uh, it was just, it was just kind of cool to be, uh, be in the atmosphere and I share that, uh, with my wife because she had never been before. And I'd, I'd been a couple times to see rovers and it was, it was nice to share that with her.
0: She's definitely a keeper on that basis, I have to say. Oh, so.
4: oh absolutely. Her, I mean, her, her, given, her given position uh, was uh, central defence, but uh, she's a keeper as well, for sure.
0: So how, how did you um, get involved with Blackburn Rovers then? Where did that link come from?
4: I've been uh, following Rovers since uh, 2002, when um, I kind of got into the sport during the 2002 World Cup. Uh, for whatever reason I, I think I had seen something on uh, Sports Illustrated that convinced me that I should stay up until uh, three in the morning California time to watch the uh, the u s team play in korea and uh, that was kind of my first experience uh, watching a full football match and uh, Brad Friedel played out of his mind during the during that uh, tournament and so i Nobody told me that your favorite player isn't supposed to be a goalkeeper. So I followed Friedel over to Rovers and, uh, you know, I've been following them ever since.
0: Fantastic. Well, I can think of no better role model than Brad. He's, uh, he will always be welcome back at Ewood Park. And uh, he's just taking the coaching job, hasn't he, recently?
4: Yeah, I mean, that. He's, uh, he's taking uh, the manager's job at uh, New England Revolution. And so uh, there's probably a plan for some of the uh, New York Rovers to get together when uh, New England comes to play. Some of the MLS sides uh, around here we might – might go and show up in our rovers tops and support brad maybe maybe see if we can get a picture with him or something
0: i can think of no better excuse for us to uh, to come over and interview you face to face in new york i'm tre- treading on mike's ground here because he's normally the one that tries <laughs> no. to, to blag the foreign holidays I, when we talk to
6: people. I, ian we had this chat beforehand i am in charge of travel arrangements <laughs> so leave it to me please you
0: are <laughs> the expert i am I'm very definitely yeah. out of my comfort zone so when when's the next planned trip to ewood for either of you have you got anything any irons in the fire
3: um, with me, personally, it's it's kind of, um, so my parents still live in Preston, so every time I'm kind of looking at booking a, a holiday back to England, my wife's kind of like, we can spend $3,000 on a week in Preston, or we can go on a cruise. So I'm like, okay, you win. So I'm kind of like, I think I'm planning a trip, maybe back just myself at some point. So I'm hoping to some point in the next year, because it's been uh, it's been a good few years now since I was last at Ewood Park. So I tend to end up coming back when there's uh, no game or just just general travel plan plans don't end up working out. So I
4: think my next trip is going to be planned around actually when they are at Ewood Park.
0: And Jay, yourself.
4: Uh, so I've been uh, given uh, tentative permission uh, that if rovers are looking at promotion and flights are reasonable, uh, to be able to fly out uh, and see a match. Not sure if it would be home or away uh, in uh, in the spring. So um, you know, if we if we keep keep going a uh, our, our run of league form. Then, uh, then you might be seeing me there in uh, in May. So hopefully, hopefully I'll be there in May.
0: Well, listen, gents, uh, that's been absolutely fantastic. When either or both of you come over, then let us know, and we'd be delighted to either try and get to try and get a ticket for you, or at the very, very least, meet up for a pre-match drink or something like that, and obviously do another face-to-face. Well, do a face-to-face interview with you. Uh, it will be it will be tremendous, but uh, yeah. If that doesn't come off, then I guess Mike, are we are we going to raid the travel budget then and fly over to New York to interview these guys?
6: I mean, I think we can find space in the travel budget. Obviously, we've got Croatia to visit from the last one, but right. I think probably looking early spring, possibly for a New York trip.
4: No, our, our house we uh, our house is actually a little bit too big for us at the moment. So uh, if you're ever in New York, you know you can always look us up for a place to crash. As uh, Stephen found out today, it's a little bit of a walk from the subway, so if you can handle that, then you know it's a little little bit cheaper than an Airbnb or a, or a hotel in Manhattan.
0: Well, I think we've got our title for the pod there, because after the last one, uh, Phil was very keen to sort of say that houses in Croatia were very small, and that became the title of the pod, so... You're more than welcome to crash at our place, I think I is think the title of this <laughs> one. And you may live to regret that offer, that's all I'll say. Anyhow, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure having you both on. It really has. It's been tremendous to get that perspective from New York, and you're doing some fantastic work um, spreading the gospel of rovers over in the, uh, the US of A, so keep on doing that. And get us some US pod listeners as well, even if it's just for the novelty value. <laughs> It'd be good to get the listening stats up. That will make us all... Uh, all feel warm and cosy at night. So, thanks once again.
3: Definitely, no problem. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, thanks, Makes make, yeah.
6: make sure you put up a nice, a nice Facebook comment this time, please, guys. Just keep the love rolling.
4: Of course. That's, uh, that's all Stephen's department. You know, don't <laughs> don't put that hatred on me.
3: <laughs> oh,
0: it's all love here. It's all love. You know that we're all we're all on the same side. I think it's I'm to say. So, once again, thanks thanks a lot, guys. It's been tremendous, and uh, you're welcome back any time.
4: Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh,
0: Thanks. Okay, everyone, and welcome back to part three. Um, we've got a number of issues to talk about, but we'd like to kick off the first one with um, something that was referenced briefly in part two, which is the recent Brockhall ACV application being declined. And um, questions raised as to why Vinkies want to keep their options open well we can only wonder but Cammy what's your uh, what's your opinion on this uh, on this out
5: Yeah it was uh, disappointing to learn that it had been de- declined um, and that Rovers had appointed you know a top legal team to sort of make sure that, that it didn't go ahead so obviously it does raise questions in terms of what the future is for Brock Hall is it Part of their plans to sell it off um, or, or is it just that they want to protect that asset so that in the future if they decide to sell the club that it might make it more attractive to a potential buyer but I mean this is Venkis we're talking about so no one knows really but for me for them to spend that much money uh, hiring a top legal team to sort of make sure that it wasn't approved, would suggest that they definitely have some plans for it.
0: Yeah, I must admit, when I heard it, I thought I thought it was a much, much weaker case than Ewood Park because the argument put forward was, we can have a training ground anywhere, and that's true, frankly. Uh, Rovers have already changed training grounds at least twice in, in my lifetime. They used to have a training pitch next to where the current Accrington Stanley ground is, and I can remember going there as a kid trying to watch Rovers train, of course, the they, they Dalglish era, they used to go down Pleasanton and train down there. And then Jack Walker built Brockhall. Now, I think that's the crux for Rovers fans. It's a massive emotional attachment because it was one of the first things that Jack Walker did and he pumped his money in. I can only think that they want to keep their options open. And I can only think that without um, that order being placed on the ground, it keeps the asset value high in the accounts. So for the reasons that you've just said, it's it's a it's a big asset that, any potential buyer coming in uh, could, could reap the benefit of, but also uh, perhaps their their lending covenants as well. It may well be that they have to point out to whoever's lending them money that there are still some assets, and that the value of that would definitely have gone downhill. I'm not remotely confident that they are good custodians of that asset, and obviously it would be an emotional wrench. But if they were, let's say for argument's sake, to build something on Brownfield site and and generate uh sale proceeds which would give a net cash inflow to the business then that's just commercial good sense but i wouldn't trust them to do that frankly michael
2: yeah, th- yeah the thing is Ian, it, it's in ribble valley borough council and they're right up to the limit on their housing allocations at the moment anyway so it can't in any in the immediate future be sold off to build more houses so there's some people are darkly muttering that that's what um, they must have in mind um that, that's not going to happen. But um, everything that you and Cammie have said, I completely agree with. That's my interpretation as well.
0: Second thing, then, are um, our potential discussions. Um, worst use of Twitter outside of the White House. Any any nominations?
2: Um, well, this being the day that Brexit looks like it's falling apart once again. Nah, definitely Corey Evans' his wife. <laughs>
0: What well, an absolutely extraordinary thing to do. I wonder uh, how much grief he's taken, uh, or whether, whether that's the prevailing mood in Northern Ireland. Uh, quite, quite appalling. Uh, I was absolutely gobsmacked. And it was the, um, it was the uh, I'm going to slag, slag off all these people, and then, ah, oh, well, onwards and upwards. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> the juxtaposition of that was really quite something, but there we go. Now, I think we have um, a budding DJ on the panel. Uh, who wants to come in on our next topic, which is uh, DJs are at away grounds. Why are they so much better than ours?
2: Yeah, I'll tell you what. Rochdale and Berry away this season. It was like my, my CD collection from the 80s. It was absolutely fantastic. Bits of Stone Roses, James, The Jam, The Clash. And what do we get at Rovers? Well, on the rare occasions when we won, I had to be reminded that they played Black Eyed Peas, which is rubbish. <laughs> um, Last season, we were walk, they were running out to um, a mysterious lament about someone losing their faith by Coldplay, the most beige-limp band with no connection to the northwest of England at all, and that really dreadful, bouncy version of the Wild Rover. So can we please, in the next transfer window, get the DJ from either Berry or Rochdale and uh, get him at Rovers? do You don't fancy the job yourself, then? I would love the job. I'd walk to he would part from Marple. I have teenage sons who like my music as well, who'd do a better job.
5: Bring back Gerald.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cammy, you make me laugh. I, just, I remember yesterday, coming out of the ground, we turned the radio on as we pull out of our car park. Oh, let's get Radio Rovers on, see what Mowbray says about the sending off. And it was Gerald Jackson saying, oh, there we go, Georgie Gershwin from 1931.
0: This will definitely bring in the younger listeners. This conversation, yeah. <laughs> <Pranky>. That's
2: Mathora <for laughs> from Southport.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's try. Let's try and engage with our younger listeners. I'm sure there must be one somewhere. Um, Rover's social media seems to have raised its game recently, and we particularly like the brand we were talking about and that just before we started recording. Uh, Cami, what do what do you take of this uh, of this latest initiative by Rovers?
5: Yeah, I mean, I've been critical of. The social media presence for the last year or so, I've, I've complained a lot of times that we were in the dark ages, and but social media is such a big thing across sort of society, but particularly with football clubs, you've got to use it properly to engage with the fans. And over the last five or six weeks, uh, with Ryan coming in and taking over the social media side of the club, it's improved leaps and bounds now he doesn't get everything right and he's he will make mistakes but honestly thus far he's been night and day compared to what was coming out previously
0: not as good as bristol city's goal scoring gifts though have you seen those
5: oh they're brilliant (laughs) (laughs) andy cry is always retweeting them so (laughs) absolutely
0: amazing linds what's your take on brad vent and the social media uplift
1: I love Ryan I want to be Ryan's friend He has my dream job Like literally Running Rover's social media Would be my dream job Um, I just think It's been brilliant And I think Not just the presence On Twitter But the Instagrams a lot better And I think the players Are making more of an effort As well I try and follow them On most of the social medias And you're seeing A lot more of them And a lot more Around the club And and around the ground And we've been poor We've been really poor On social media I've still not forgiven Them for tweeting During Remembrance Day Last year during the silence and I think that summed up where we were at in terms of our communication. So yeah, I'm all for Ryan. Um there's a lot of Bradley Dark, and I have asked him directly for some more Craig Conway and he said he'd see what he could do. So if he's listening, <laughs> I am still waiting. Um he hasn't blocked me yet. We'll give him time. Um uh, but yeah I'm all for it. And I think in general, you know, the club shop's got some new things in, there's some personalised gifts, there's the junior members package come out. It feels like for the first time in a while they're actually trying to engage with the the fan base, which makes me a little uncomfortable because I
0: wonder what's coming. Well, uh, if I'm being cynical, and it's not, it is, it is like me to be cynical. If I'm being perfectly honest, yeah. You know, when when the team on the field is winning games, I think the fans are a lot more receptive to um, all the other stuff that goes around the football club because that that just colours your judgment to me. It's so influential in in terms of the mood. And we we have been on a good run, and I think we are starting now to to hopefully put a run together, which will keep us up there. So all of that sort of stuff is is very welcome indeed. One other thing I'd just like to mention, I don't know, um, this is almost like a recommendation to follow someone on Twitter, but uh, if you don't follow him, I recommend you do. And that's the um, Accrington Stanley chairman, Andy Holt. He's, he had a thread uh, about a week or so ago now where he, he retweeted some stuff from the Football League and all the rest of it. And he, he to me, he just comes across as the the epitome of a perfect chairman. He seems to be treating the club as a community asset I think was the phrase that he used that he's just the custodian of it for the town and he just wants more and more people from Accrington to be involved he's everything that we would look for in an owner who knows maybe we can get him on as a, as a, as a podcast guest to uh, record something that we could send to Venkis and then one last thing Linz um, you've got some old git out of retirement and running a 5k run would you like to tell us more about team Theo's Glow run
1: I think technically the old git got me out of retirement You created this team I'm not taking responsibility for this Um, So yeah So um, a few members of this podcast And some other select um, guests Are taking on a 5k on the 19th of December In Sheffield um, Raising money for Sheffield Children's Hospital So it is a glow run So we are as neon and as bright as possible um, But with a, a Rovers theme And yeah, it ties in with the fundraising I was doing um, earlier in the year So still in memory of Megan Uh, Megan was treated at Sheffield Children's Hospital So it's my last event of the year I think it's my eighth race So I'm done then for Christmas So very excited, very excited You're going to be running alongside me um, And obviously Mike as well And yeah, just to encourage people If they would like to donate To share, to retweet To come and laugh at us To do whatever Whatever they want to do then please do it and you can pay me to wear a tutu you can pay me not to wear a neon tutu i'm not fussy i just want your money so work with us it's blackman rovers own
0: bob Geldof there. i think
1: <laughs> it's pretty well people keep giving me money i was, I was done <laughs> like we'd hit over four grand i was done and then this has started and i think we're at like 750 pounds
0: absolutely extraordinary it really is, it is massively
1: so okay. so I don't want to be greedy, but I'd really like to get over a thousand because that'll be a thousand for us as a team and over five thousand in memory of Megan. The link is Team Theo's glow Run or just come on to the BRFCS Twitter or we'll have it on. I'm at Lindse Lewis15. If you have a Twitter account, you will see it because I'm literally on there continuously until people pay me not to be. So <laughs> it's all good. And you've got a lot of neon, Ian, I believe. Can you tell us a bit about your outfit? I have. I have bought everything that
0: Poundland sells that will flash, light up, glow or whatever.
1: And this was your first trip to Poundland, wasn't it? Yeah, it
0: was indeed. Yes, it was quite quite an eye-opening experience. But I tell you, I filled my boots. It was just an Aladdin's cave. I loved every minute of it. Uh, And I've got a load of stuff sort of stacked up, good to go. I think I'm going to be digging out the... uh, asics cis orange and gray away kit i think that's the the nearest i've got to a, a neon rovers shirt to to. i'm you,
1: in the yellow trading top this season's yellow training top so that's as neon as i'm getting i was going
0: to say I, I think i'll run in that but to use the word run would be quite wrong I, I will do i will complete the circuit wearing that let's put it that way my training runs last week did not go well and I think I sounded a bit like Michael sounds now. <laughs> very, very chesty. <laughs> very, very flummy. But it's a great course. It's going to be a great night. We'll take some photographs yeah. and we'll Best post over to you both. And thanks very much to everyone who's, who's contributed. It's been absolutely magnificent. So let's just wrap up by looking forward then to the festive fixtures. Uh, December sees us with three home games and two away. Peterborough away, Northampton away. Charlton at home, Rochdale at home in a good old-fashioned Lancashire Boxing Day match and then Scunthorpe at home and we start with that Scunthorpe fixture that takes me back to uh, the away game earlier this year and it makes you realise how quickly we start playing the return fixtures. So Peterborough away, Northampton away. Michael, are you going to be venturing out a fourth to any of
2: those? Yeah, well, we've got tickets for both of them. Um, I, 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 I rang Rovers today. It is an interesting one for those Rovers fans that don't live in East Lancashire. You know, I want to go to Northampton, but it's a bit of a dog to get to, particularly on the the Chris Rea weekend where everyone will be driving home for Christmas. And I thought, oh right, maybe get the coach to pick us up at Nutsford Services or something. Yeah. No chance. You basically we basically got to drive to Ewood at half eight four, half eight in the morning. So we'll be getting the train from Stockport.
1: Linz, will you be doing the away games? Um, I'm not going to Peterborough. Um, It's a ground I've done before. Northampton, yeah, probably. And I will be at Crewe, of course, because Ah, we've got that to look forward to. So that's not too far for me. Um and then I'll yeah, I'll be at the home game on the sixteenth as well. So I feel like I've done my bit. I've done the last four in a row. I'm gonna leave it to somebody else to cheer on Craig Cobway for one weekend. That's
0: marvellous. And will we all be there on boxing there, Cammy? Are you going on boxing there?
5: Yeah, home uh home games are fine. Away games are more difficult for me at the moment. Um but um I just wanna mention our away following, it's just been sensational. Um even today I think I was reading for Peterborough, we've already sold a thousand tickets, and I think the allocation is just under fifteen hundred. And it's looking like another sellout, which is just amazing. That week in, week out, we're still taking a thousand plus fans, and it's it's brilliant to see that the way following is is so good and the noise that they're generating.
0: So that that leads us up to Christmas. Uh, we will be dropping a special Christmas pod. I hope to have it ready for Christmas Eve as a sort of Christmas present to everybody. We've got some contributions in already. I'm just waiting one or two with us, so that should be be fun. It won't be one like this. It will follow a slightly different format, but hopefully you'll enjoy it. So uh, we'll be back in January with our next scheduled podcast. But until then, thank you very much for uh, giving up your time, decorating your Christmas trees to listen to us. It's hugely appreciated. Feedback, as always, is welcomed on the BRFCS forum or via our Twitter feed. Um, My sincere thanks to our panellists for giving up their time once again to contribute to this podcast, and especially our part two guests who this week were from the US of A. If there's any other overseas Rovers fans who fancy a spot on future episodes, then please get in touch, either on the forum or, again, using the brfcs.com Twitter feed. Uh, As you'll probably know, we're on the iTunes platform now, and that makes subscription a whole lot easier. So if you're feeling especially kind, leave us a review. It helps in our listings, but it also makes us feel really nice and warm when people say nice things. We do do this purely for the love, uh, and as long as we have listeners, we will continue to do our thing. So thank you and goodbye from the BRFCS pod squad, and all the best for the rest of the year. Have a great Christmas, and we'll be back in January.